0: Entering into the story the daughter of Parol Bat Parol which is those who found this is the fifth um the fifth pasuk of chapter 2 in this translation page 114 what did you want to say? Because, you know, as we started, there are no parents. It's immediately about the, the baby. And it's unlike any, if you think about the pattern of, of parallel stories and Roshis, where well, it's always rooted in, in the father, and it's Yaakov, and then Yosef is just the same, the son of Yaakov, and Yaakov is just the same. You mean the parents are the not parents. named? They are parents, but they're not named. Not yeah, but they're not figures in the story. Not figures yet. The well, the mother, sister is, a, is the mother and sister are figures. The father is missing. But you know, the fact that constellation, it, no? it's a different constellation, but I think that means it's a different story. I think that the stories are connected, as we'll see. I think they're actually deeply connected. Oh. And uh, I would argue that yes, of course, it's a different book, it's a different situation, but that the story is recalling stories of Rashid, not just the creation story, not just Noah, not just Hagar, but as we'll see, I think it actually plays off. It's, it assumes those stories. I think it's assuming them, but obviously it takes it in a somewhat different direction. And okay, we'll see. Let's, we'll see how it plays out. It's very interesting. We'll see. Now we have this business of Bat Paro. This is the fifth post. Tered Paro. I mean, the, the subject of the class is Moshe. So the, all this at the end of the day is to cast the light upon who is this Moshe and then what is his mission and how does he fulfill it. Vateret bat paro, chapter 5, it's page 111, chapter 2, verse number 5. Vateret bat paro, v'chotzar hayar, v'narotel hochot as ayat hayar, v'teret atevar batoch hasuv, v'atishrachet amata vatikacher. This actually is an interesting verse for the following we First of all, we have, this Bat Paro doesn't have a name, she's Pharaoh's daughter. The in the first chapter ended with Paro's decree: all the boys shall be thrown into the into the hour. And now we have Pharaoh's own daughter, who will be at the center of the story. In fact, she will be the one to save this child. Uh, in the first chapter, it was the midwives who were not carrying out power, who defied Paro in the second, in second story we have the first set of women we have a mother and a sister they present in the beginning and now we have surprisingly Paro's own daughter ironically Paro's daughter and here we, in this verse we have um, we have the uh, two verbs that we encounter in Sefer Ebrechit in a very important way one verb is to see and the other verb is to take. Seeing and taking, of course, in the Torah, in the Genesis story, is the first crime. <laughs> woman saw the fruit and she took it. The Bnei Elohim see the daughters of the human and they take them. Pharaoh, the Egyptians, see Sarah and they take her. And those three stories, the other word that appears is the word tov. They see what is tov and they take it. So right away in the beginning of chapter 2 we have all three words. We have... The surprising statement in the beginning of chapter two that when Moshe was born, that her, his mother saw he told that he's told, which is very strange to say, because every child is told. And now we have the seeing and the taking. The seeing and the taking is very interesting. It is parallel to Breishit, but of course with the opposite result. In other words, the seeing and the taking in the first story is the seeing and taking and the violation of an explicit command given by the authority which in the case of the Garden of Eden is God Shem Elohim so the defying of that command is the first sin the disobedience here what the Chumash does it plays with exactly the same constellation something is told it is seen and is taken but of course it's exactly the opposite because here yes it's the same in the sense that Pharaoh's daughter is in fact defying her father's command but of course the difference between the two stories is that in the first instance it's God who gives the command who presumably his commands are just and fair and are, uh, are are correct. In the case of Paro, they are unjust and unfair for any number of reasons including the fact that the very people he's trying to kill are the ones that actually helped save Egypt. So, apart from that it is so we have a situation where well, yes she is Paro's daughter on one hand, but she is defying defy power, and I would add something else over here, that in the first story of the the, the breaking of the command, the disobedience, the term the Torah uses in in, in describing what Adam what Adam Chava did, right, the term that appears very importantly is God's concern, and the reason for the banishment from Eden, the reason for the exile, stated in, towards the end of the on story God says that the human being has become like one of us to know good and evil pen God's concern is pen to stretch out your hand which in that context shlichut in biblical Hebrew means to harm or to take it means something inappropriate yad it's also a term that appears in Megilat Esther many times yado by right and then of course the end of the Megillah uva yadam concerning the spoils they did not take, did not appropriate the spoils. Here it's interesting that the Khumish is very she's walking, it says, not al Svataya, but ya She works al are, and what does she do? Amata, she sent her, uh, her servant, her servants, right? But it's interesting that the word Amma can mean a servant. But it also actually the, the word Amah is actually in, is, is the measurement. It's something it's a kind of defined measurement. So over here the point is either way, she's sending someone who is representing her shalliah, one might say. But we have we have and yad in the same verse, but of course the yad over here, as it were, with the, has the opposite intention, not to not to harm, but to save. So we have over here, in other words, The book of Shroth is using the Genesis language, but to describe Bat Paro as a defiant, but to describe her in the sense not as a, she's Egyptian. She's Pharaoh's daughter on one hand. On the other hand, she's the woman who defies her father's command. And of course, the irony is that Pharaoh seemed not so concerned about killing the women or the girls, quite the opposite. But now it's his own daughter, together with the two other women in the story. Who will bring about the possibility of redemption by saving Moshe? So this pasuk, of course, yes, of course, it's different than Breshid, but it's choosing all the language to say, but not just the words, but the very themes themselves. And now we, we'll now the next verse is interesting in this respect. Next verse is "Vatiftach, et nar vatomer, so it says, Vatiftach, she opened up, right? Vatireyu, here the translator of the JPS, she spied the basket among the reeds, right? And then the next verse, when she opened it, Vatiftach, she saw that it was a child. Batiftach, she opens it up, and she sees the Yehud, and behold, Hinei Nar Bohe, the Nar, is crying. So she understands... She has compassion. The word chamal in Biblical Hebrew has two different meanings. They're related. One is to have compassion. The other is to spare something. Not to destroy it. She has compassion. That means also she didn't destroy it because the command was to kill the boys. Throw, the, throw them into the river. He's thrown into the river. But now she can either put him back in the river or die. But she has compassion. And she says... This child is from the Hebrews. So there are several interesting points over here about this verse. Yes? What about the word nar? I'll get to it. I'll get to nar in a second. Now, what else? Yes? So um, it just reminds me when she sends her servant to get Moshe, it just reminds me of when Abraham sends his servant. That to, to find a wife for his daughter that someone else has to fill in this role I don't know what any relationship there is it just reminds me of that idea well, I don't know, she's a princess over here so maybe she she was walking with her entourage that, 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 that doesn't surprise me there's something else about the several things here there are echoes, that's how the text works there are many echoes the primary Yishma will get to but the, before you get to Yishma. Yishmael is certainly an echo here. A very strong one. There's actually another echo here, though. The main point of it, there are two main echoes in the story. Probably more. But the two main ones are, first of all, the creation narrative. The story begins with Kito. Kitov. It was taken straight from the beginning of the Chumash. Rashi said it. The house was filled with light. Kitov. That's, and then, not just the story of of creation, chapter 1 but the recreation story of Noah he is put inside an ark He's put inside a teva put in the teva it's connected, second but related they are creation narratives now in this respect there is something else very interesting about the story of Noah I would say three things that are interesting first of all coming to this verse in terms of the language which or vishaleach he appears in the Noah story because when Noah's inside the ark and he wants to emerge from the ark, the way he does is he sends birds, two different birds. First of all, and that's the verb over there to send. First of all, right, he is sending, he doesn't do it himself. He sends something else, right? He sends something into the waters, one might say, right? Because the world was to discover. We don't know if the water is there or not there so the first thing Noah sends read this what, last week the first thing Noah sends is, let's find it um, this is found in chapter chapter 8 page 14 first it says it's chapter 8 verse number, verse number 7 first he sends the raven to see if the water is there or not has the water diminished? Or not? That's the first Vayishalach, right? And the raven goes back and forth. He doesn't get a good answer from the raven. Next verse, Vayishalach Yonah. Then he sends the Yonah. Vayishalach. The Yonah has no place to rest. So the, the the dove comes back to the ark. And the same verse, Vayishalach Yodov Vayikachela. So he stretched out his hands. And he brought the dove back. Right? And then later on, right? By Yosef. Next verse. He continues. By Yosef. Shalach benateva, right? So he sent again. Right? He sent the dove again. And the dove um, comes back with an olive, olive leaf. Olive branch. Whatever. And then the next verse. Verse 12. By he sends the dove again and the dove doesn't come back so the governing word over here is sh- Shalach Shalach Yonah shalach once Shalach Yonah twice Shalach Yonah three times his own hand he brings back the dove the second time by ya dove. so first of all that's very interesting that's number one number two in emerging from the ark the Torah says that when Yonah emerges from the ark walks out of the ark Let's see what it says. What is this verse? One second. Thirteen. Thirteen. I misremembered myself. I thought that it talks about in the verse number thirteen. It says that Yonah removed the covering of the ark and he saw that the earth was, I misremembered, I thought, I didn't check it, I thought that it actually mentions him opening the ark, but I guess I could be wrong about that. Okay, ok I have to check this out no it takes off the cover it does say that no my mistake it's same concept of opening up the ark and then we have in the beginning when he first enters the ark so there we have interesting the expression that Noah built the ark all the animals came into the ark we talked about that verse Hashem closes the ark in other words the story of the ark is a very simple story you have the ark, and the ark is under. One might say the ark is the remnant of of, of, of civilization. Noah and the animals, etc. And you have, first of all, this idea that in the ark, remember, an ark is not something that you steer. An ark is floating by itself. That somehow God is Hashem, not Elohim, but Hashem is protecting the ark. Someone is watching over this ark. Okay and then when it comes time to leave so Yonah can't just walk out he sends something else to find out right? and then after everything is finished he takes off the cover he opens up the ark I was thinking that actually in the story of Moshe the Chumash is presenting Moshe as being inside this ark and being inside the ark because when you connect to another text it actually recalls for us, this is a very important point about how texts work texts have all kinds of other pieces to them so by when you when you cite well, text A, cites text B it may have text B for a particular purpose but when you think about text B, all kinds of other things come to mind and what comes to mind in the story of Noah is that here you have this little ark floating on the waters not in control of no, but everything else is destroyed, in other words the idea the Torah says by Yishar Ach Noach only Noach remains there is nobody else and I think what the Chumash wants to recall for us here in putting Mos- Moshe in the Ark okay is that not just that he was thrown into the waters that is safe from the waters that's actually very important I'll get to that but this idea that he is he is he is, he is alone that the story of Moshe unique special there is nobody else this idea that nobody else is a theme the Torah will carry forward. He's the only one. And that plays out in many, many ways throughout the life of Moshe, not just here, but in Sefer Shemot, in several stories in Sefer Shemot, and in Sefer Midbar as well. When God says to Moshe, to Aaron and Miriam, he's special, he's different. There's nobody like him, he's singular. So that's what you have over here as well, yes? He's alone also because all the other male babies are being killed. That's right. He is... On one hand, it's very significant that he's thrown into the... is put into... In other words, they could have found a different way to save him. The way they're trying to save him, it's very hard to know. Maybe it's even a plan. In other words, maybe, the sis, maybe they know that she bathes by the Nile River. But they're looking out for an opportunity. But it is not an accident, of course, that he's put into the waters. Because of the other boys are also thrown into the water, but they don't survive the water. He who has somebody that goes into the water and survives the water, which, which first of all, as you say very well, emphasizes the singularity, but it also emphasizes something else, which is very important. He has experienced that which they experienced. Yes, he's the outsider. Yes, he's different. Yeah. But he's gone through that experience. He also, he also, he also was in the water as a, as a little infant. Let's not forget that. Whether he remembers it or not, of course he remembers it in some sense. So in his kind, remember he's he's someone who comes out of, he's a survivor. He comes out of the waters. Now, the question is, how does the chumash? What I like to try to figure out is when the chumash seizes upon something. Like in this case, the story of Noah and the ark. In this case, first of all, it's interesting. In the case of the ark of Noah, God is watching over him, not just God Hashem. As we, as we noticed, evohim is used in one way but when it talks about protecting him by his Hashem Over here, God is not protecting him. God is not mentioned over here. The one who protects him in the most obvious way is his sister. The sister stands from the distance to know what would happen to him. And here we have another important point about the story. The one who understood this to the end in the great depth was the author of Megilat Esther. Mitzrayim is a place where God is not present. It's very simple. Or minimally, God doesn't speak. We never hear God say one word in Egypt. All the years we've been there, since Jacob goes down to Mitzrayim, there's not a single communication from God. God only begins to speak in the next chapter, and God speaks when it is time to leave. Preparation for leaving. So the idea that, but... Like, like, it's like Megillat that's there God is not in the book God's not mentioned God's not named there's no name of God in Megillat. what do you do when God is not there so when God is not there I remember someone I learned don't want to say who it is someone I learned a great amount from in my life one of my real Rebbe's so somebody this was a Rebbe in, in being kind Chesed awesome person so somebody once said, a relative said, said to her, you know, I know you're a Jew, you're very observant Jew. He says, I can't observe anything. The truth is, I'm an atheist. Mm. So she said to him, let me tell you something. I'm not sure what I believe after the six million. I'm not sure I believe in God either. But here's what I do believe. I, be, I, be, I believe in doing God's work. And that was actually, that stuck with me my whole life. I'm not a theologian. I don't know anything. Not only that, I also don't believe anybody, anybody else knows anything either. So I'm ahead of most of them because I know I know nothing. And they making all kinds of pronouncements. But I think we're put here to do God's work. That's the point. The point of this story is where's does God in all this? We haven't heard a single word of God all these years. 200 years. Not a word. We're being thrown into the river. We're being abused, enslaved, beaten, who knows what else. God says nothing. So what do you do in that situation? So the Kermit says in Sefer sheets when Noah was in the ark God is, God is protecting him but in the story over here where is God? we don't know so the sister steps in Miriam is the sister as she's called to see, to Noah. so she's the one who does God's work in the story she's protecting now what's interesting is how far the Chumash takes this the Chumash will take it very far later when the story of Noah resurfaces the golden calf but the truth I was thinking this morning that actually the story of Noah plays out here even further in the following way. This I think was an insight this morning I'm very pleased with. I think it's true. The story of Noah is about being in the ark and leaving the ark. He leaves the ark to go back to the world. He goes back to, one might say, to, to recreate the world. The world is being recreated. The book of Genesis is about the creation of, of, not of the world, but the creation of this people. The people who are representing God in the world. The people will observe the Shabbat, for example, which is the main mitzvah of this book. The Sabbath in Genesis is the Sabbath of the world. Why should all oh, we Jews, God rested on the seventh day from all creation. It's not a Jewish thing, but it becomes a Jewish thing in this book. It's the mitzvah the Jews that embrace. That's true. Now, when Noah emerges from the ark, okay? So, what does God say to Noah when Noah emerges from the ark? First, God says, "Noah, populate the world, go back, fill the world up, etc." And then God said to Noah something else, very important. God said to Noah, "But I give you a set of commandments. I give you many privileges in the world, but I give you a set of commandments. And the commandments—it's what the rabbinic tradition calls the seven Noahide laws. When you look at the seven Noahide laws in the Chumash, the Talmud derives them from all kinds of biblical from kinds of rabbinic exegesis." But in the Chumash, only two. Actually, the two laws that I mentioned. One is obviously the primary law. What is the primary law when you when you leave the uh, when you uh, walk out of the uh, out, out, into the world? Noah walks in. Is the crime of crime of murder? The Torah says, dama adam ba adam damo Keep Elohim adam. When Noah walks into the new world, into the world, he goes into the world. He has a command. Noah, it's your responsibility to govern the world. And I'll give you an example of this. That if you someone is shedding the blood of Adam, dama adam, then, damo It's a kind of ABC, CBA. dama adam, ba damo CBA, ABC. Kayestic structure. That's the first thing, no. You have to govern the world. The world has to be a place of justice. And... If someone is killing X, that X has to be killed the same way. Shofech, dama, adam. That's the Torah's idea of justice. It's a kind of equal, equal punishment. What you, what you, you get, what you, what you give. What's the first thing Moses does when he walks into the world? He walks into the world. It's very interesting. It's a variation. He sees, he sees, he sees the Egyptian, what is that verse? In this chapter, chapter 2. Chapter 2, when he grows up, verse number 11, he grows up, Vayar ish mitzri, make ish evri Vayifah in kol But he looks this way and that way, there's nobody. Let's assume it means nobody who cares. Nobody. There's nobody to do anything. He sees someone make. So what does Moshe do? Moshe does, vayachata mitzri, he hits the mitzvah. We notice something interesting about the Chumash here. That on one end, we don't know what the Egyptian intended to do to the Jew. The, the, the Hebrew is maker. We don't know what maker means. Maker can mean two different things in the Chumash. In the Shvatim, it has two different meanings. One is to hit somebody, to beat somebody, to injure somebody, to maim somebody. That's one meaning. The other is to kill somebody. It probably means to hit them very hard. If someone is and he dies the person who does it should die. That is, it means to hit. But how much hitting? If you hit a rock, the person will die. If you stop in the middle, either you stop yourself or somebody stops you, the person won't die. So it sounds like the Egyptian was beating the Jew. Maybe the Jew could die. If he keeps hitting him. So Moshe intervenes and Moshe kills him But what does he do? He buries him in the sand We notice something important I believe Sternberg noticed this In one of his essays or something It's true? Sternberg is a professor at uh, Mayor Sternberg He made an important point That whatever we think Because one might say Objectively speaking Did Moshe do the right thing? Because it says the Egyptian was hitting the Jew But Moshe kills the Egyptian Sternberg's point is that the Chumash goes out of its way to justify it because it uses the same verb for both The Chumash actually wants us to see Moshe's action as appropriate because now was thinking it's exactly the passage in the Chumash It's not just that the Chumash is saying what the punishment is it's saying it's got to be equal it's the equality of the two verses are identical what the person does and what the person gets are the same and the important point made to Noah is says God to Noah after the flood from here on in Mr. Noah you're in charge of the world. I will step in on occasion when, when needed but the primary responsibility to govern is the human responsibility. And that's what we have in chapter 2. In chapter 2 we have Moshe as Noah did we have him stepping in I would say we have a, a justified homicide. And what's interesting is, and I don't know what to make of this exactly, the Chumash says, and the Chumash adds, he buried him in the sand. Why does the Chumash mention that he buried him in the sand? Yes? He's hiding the body. the body, but and that's so true. He does see that's correct. And somebody, somebody sees me. somebody There's knows. One <coughs> that, that's Rashi. Could be could oh. be you could be right. You could be right. It could be the one that was beaten. It's possible. Yeah. That's what Rashi says. But I thought something else. Because the truth is it, right? You're right. It goes out of its way to emphasize the hiding. But maybe you could have done it a different way. Or if he had been able to bachol, actually. Carries with it another, another significance, which is, and maybe it's more nuanced, because the, the first, what is the first murder in the Torah? Cain and heaven. So where is heaven. It's not clear. But God said to Cain, called the Me'achicha." So Adama. God said to Cain, "Where? What have you done? The blood of your brother cries out from the ground." we don't know what it means it cries out from the ground does it mean the blood is on the ground? does it mean the blood has seeped into the ground? does it mean he buried him? he hides him? what does it mean? it's not clear but somehow the ground is kind of co- is a kind of uh, co-conspirator of sorts Cain has has uh, co-opted the ground as it were and I wonder over here if the Chumash is not interested in the case of Moshe to make two points A this is justified it's, on the other hand we wonder Maybe it's not fully justified. Maybe he acted excessively. It's very hard to know. But in any event, what the Chumash is saying, we have an act of what we call murder, the homicide, but justifiable homicide. And it's striking to me that the Chumash, I think, is picking up, takes the Noah idea of the Teva, but expands it over here as well. It's the Teva, and then it uses the, both the entrance into the Teva and the leaving of the Teva, it recalls. The entrance into the Teva, in the Chumash, is God's protection. Here it's the sister's protection. The by the Sharach, the sending out to take you out of the water, basically, to bring you back from water to land, that is attributed not to God, of course, not to Noah either. It's attributed to Pharaoh's daughter. So we have over here, the, the, one might say that the two parties who allow this child to survive, on one hand, it's, it's the sister, on the other hand, it's Pharaoh's daughter, they are, among other, above everything else, these are two, 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 two women, actually, who play the role of, one might say, of mother in the story, of protector in the story. My point is, the Chubbush will revisit Noah later on. When you get to the Golden camp, yeah, the whole Noah story is played over again in, in Spain. It's really emphasized very much Moshe in contrast to Noah. That's point number one. Now, point number two is that the other story that it recalls, obviously, is the story of of, of, of Yishmael but let me get back to the first point in terms of Moshe in terms of Moshe I was emphasizing Moshe's aloneness singularity in Moshe's aloneness now there's another part of the story which is Yisrael. Yisrael is cast off by his mother who stands far away as far as a boshan. the sister in the story over here stands Merachok stands far away but she doesn't stand far away because she doesn't want to see what terrible thing is going to happen she stands far away to know what they are So that immediately recalls for us the story of Yishmael and the question becomes to what end before we get to what end we make a very simple point that I think Sarah was hinting at though she didn't say it exactly I'll say it exactly there's something else curious about the story of Yishmael which is that Yishmael is referred to in the Chumash in two different ways. Sometimes he's a Na. Sometimes he's a Yevet. Look at the Chumash. Sometimes he's a Yevet. For example, let's take a look. Chapter 21. Verse, Genesis verse, no, verse verse number 37, let's say. This is where he's sent away. Verse 30, that verse 37. Page 37. Chapter 21. So Sarah's, right? God said to Abraham, Sarah says, right? Cast away the slave woman and her son. Right? Right? matter was evil for Abraham on account of his son, God speaks to Abraham in verse number 12. God refers to Yisrael as a nar. That's in verse number 12. So Abraham gets up in the early in the morning. He takes bread or food. He takes water. He places it on Hagar. Sama In verse number, was it 14? Top of page number 38. Vieta Together with the Yahweh. Right? Yewit it says. Right? So there he's referred to as a Yowit. Sends them away. By he sends them away. Right? And the water runs out. What does she do? She threw the Yahweh under one of the uh, bushes. Right? No, even the next verse, right? She said before by she sat Why? For she said, Awe Reb Mota Yahud. I don't want to see the Yahweh die. So now we have three times in a row the Yahud. Now Ishmael he met mm-hmm. Kora Nar, heard the cry of the Nar, it's Moshe, right? Nar Bokhe. He heard the cry of the So the Khumish has moved back and forth between Nar and between Yahweh, right? Shamahima Koha Nar Basharu Sham, right? Kumisiata Nar, take the Nar, right? God is with the NAR. It's consistent. God always refers to Shmuel as the NAR. But when Abraham hands the child over to Hagar, is a Yelet. Right? She takes herself and the Yelet. She puts the Yelet underneath the trees. She says, I don't want to see the Yelet die. So it's subjective and objective. Well, <laughs> right. It's what all right. What subjective? What's subjective? What? Mean the perspective it's about perspective, of course it's perspective for the mother is a Yelich mother is a baby, in other words Nar can be of any age, a Nar can be a baby, obviously Moses is a newborn, it's called a Nar but Nar often refers to not a newborn but an older child Isaac at the arcade does a Nar now whether you buy that he's 37 years old doesn't seem that way in the plain meaning of the text but he's not a two year old either. He's carrying the wood. So he can't be he's probably 12, 13, 16, whatever, eleven, whatever it is in the story. Doesn't matter. <laughs> he took Nareem with him. they were all walking. In other words, in short, yellow though means something different. Yellow from the word. That sounds like a very, very Yellow sounds young on all occasions, right? But it is, as you say, all about perspective. Because you could have you could have a 50 year old the mother refers this is my boy you know <laughs> my child he's 50 you know what I mean he's a very big success in the world who knows what it is A big. he's a, he's a whatever it is he's a Rosh Hashimah. who knows it doesn't matter the point is he's the, the mother he's a yeller the point of this is very simple the mother's concerned about the child surviving actually that's her concern so when you're going out into a desert he's not a trained Sherpa guy or something going to a dangerous place she's worried about the potential danger from her perspective it's a yellow. from God's perspective first of all God knows the kid's going to survive let's start with that because God has made promises but it's more objectively objectively speaking you say he's a it's not objectively a yellow. but it's a matter of perspective when it comes to Moses the Torah uses both terms what do you want to say Possibility that an R has the possibility of having agency uh, because agency being able to act possibly, whereas the it doesn't. And that um, here the perception is in the mother, but the kid doesn't have agency whereas right. Moshe and right. God think the Ishmael does. Right. Now we get over to Moshe, and even though everything that we think of as in the story is that he definitely is the yellow. Perhaps the princess recognizes him as potentially having agency and she saves him anyway. It's possible, possible that he's, in other words, we'll get to Moses in a second, your point is well taken, but let's start with the first point before we get to the depths of it, Mm -hmm. and that is, Chubbush obviously in shifting with Moshe from Nar to Yele back and forth is recalling the story of, it's exactly the same story it's the child in danger whether in the desert or in the waters which are death for the other boys being pulled out of that situation he's crying in both cases someone has, is, is caring for him the contrast between the sister who's watching to know, to know what to do and the one who's the mother who says, I can't bear to see it, which from one perspective we may be sympathy towards, but from the Chumash's perspective is very problematic when you can't bear to see it. You've got to see it because you've got to be with him in it is, it is suffering. So, my point is, the Chumash is very interested in recalling the Ishmael story. Now the question is why? I'll come back to Moshe with the Why is it so? In other words, the way we typically see it, First of all, most people don't even see it, so let's start with that. But once you see it, it's obvious, I think. But we see it in terms of, for example, contrasting the sister with, 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 uh, with, uh, with Hagar. Hagar is being critiqued in the Chumash for her behavior. We can be sympathetic to some extent, never black and white, but fundamentally, God critiques Hagar because two, we know this for two reasons. First of all, because it says that she cries. It never says he cries but it says in the Chumash that God heard the cry of the boy as if to say God ignores her crying but the cry which matters to God that we don't even hear because he never says he cries God hears the cry of the nar and secondly God said to Hagar Malach Hagar Al-Tiri Ki Ba'sher Husham which is a double critique Malach is always criti- crit- critical what's your problem honey? what's your problem? my boys I'm going to die in the desert my little bit no, no you shouldn't be worrying about that why not? I already promised you he's going to make it what are you worried about? I promise you But second critique is basher Husham. he's going God is, he's going to God has heard the boy of the cry the one who's over there basher Husham. sham is understood midrashically not as spatial but as temporal we'll get to that but the pshaw is spatial in other words, the boy over there, the boy far away, the one you abandoned, the one, the one that's not with you, all that is a critique of God. And I think when you read the Chumash, of course the Chumash is never black and white because we also sympathize. She cares, she's crying, she's, she's going to lose her child. Right? And she's probably uh, she's crying about herself as well, but she's in a terrible situation. The fact that she got lost and put herself in that situation it's not the point. Okay, but that's where they are. So that's a critique. The, the Medrash reads about Shevrusham differently, not spatially, but temporally. The Medrash says God is going to save, Here's the cry of the boy in the place where he's at, which the Medrash takes to mean now. In other words, the place where you, in other words, someone says, Where you at, man? Where you at doesn't mean where you are. I'm standing in front of you. Where you are means at this point in your life, where are you? That's what it means in our lingo. In our, and that's what the Medrash understands by Husham. By Husham says the Medrish, we know what Yishmal may end up being. Medrash, that Medrish is like Yishmal. Okay, he may end up being a bomb or this or that the next thing. But right now he's innocent. Right now he's a child, and, right? I mean, the, 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 the Medrash wrestles with this issue all the time. You may know someone is going to be a certain gins are very strong that you know there's some people after the guy was, it was a whole years ago this big controversy after one of the mafia guys and they killed about 40 people or something like that they said maybe more and they wanted to bury him in the middle, in middle village in Queens and the priest was going to perform the rites and some people complained against the priest what well, he would make a whole for this guy he was a hit man for the mafia for his whole life and he said well he said it was you know, the church one more we're all guilty before God or whatever it was but I thinking to myself at the time there's no doubt that if this character had been eliminated 50 years earlier the world would be a better place who needs him? on the other hand when he's 5 years old what are you going to do? That, 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 that. so the Medrash says basher husham they read it as where he's at in other words right now he's a child who's crying so he's done nothing wrong ok he made fun of his brother or whatever but basically he's innocent and therefore says God I'm going to treat him as an innocent person I'm going to spare him but the simple reading of the Chumash is not that way the simple reading by Shev Husham is not temp- where he's at temporarily in time at this point in his life but the one who's over there so we have a critique of, 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 the, of the mother and the contrast is to Miriam who stands from a distance but not to abandon but rather to know means to care for that's the way we, I usually take it. That's the way I understand it. But if, in fact, there's actually something additional. There's always something additional, you know. There's something additional over here, which is this. I believe the Chumash when the Chumash presents the story, it presents Moshe first as a kind of Noah figure. That's the aloneness. But then it presents him as a Yishmael figure. And I think presenting Moshe as Yishmael is actually very interesting because who is Yishmael? Yishmael is somebody who ends up being the other it doesn't start off as the other in the beginning Isaac is the other from Abraham's standpoint Yishmael is his son the other one is Sarah's kid, very nice, lovely nice thing for Sarah my son is Yishmael. that's obvious in the Chumash Sarah is a sister, she's a very nice person, I love her dearly has a baby, that's all great it's but God answered my prayers. God heard me. I prayed for a child. I prayed, not we. I prayed for a child. God answered me. That's Ishmael. Yisshmael is born into a family. His intention was the parents would be Abraham and Sarah. That was the intention. It's Sarah who instigates the whole thing, but that doesn't work out. At the end of that first story, it's obvious that Sarah is out of the picture. It's Abraham and Hagar. At the second story, Abraham sends her away, the primary parent becomes, becomes Hagar. Hagar is the one who saves him, Agar is the one who finds him a wife from the land of Egypt. Yishmaug is a person, in terms of, not where he ends up so much, he ends up with Mitzrayim, basically in the Chumash. But in, the, in, in his journey, he's somebody who could have two, two different identities. He could be an Egyptian, he could be a Jew. Who is he? That's the question in a way he ends up in Mitzrayim the power of the Chumash is that if he ended up in a place that we don't actually like okay, that happens but whose fault is it actually? the point of the Chumash is of course it's no one person's fault everybody contributes Abraham contributed I think he's the primary problem Sarah contributed she tortures her and of course Hagar contributed where she looked down upon her, her mistress. By the way, it's interesting, looking down upon your mistress. I'm teaching on Sunday morning, also Shemot, teaching later in Sefer Shemot, the laws, Mishpatim. So I had the opportunity in reading Mishpatim, of course, to read a little bit of Sardis' work and others who are comparing the Torah's set of laws in Mishpatim with other, other codes of the ancient Near East. Very interesting, the contrast, the differences. So it struck me that one of the things that stands out, I forget which one it is, is a lot of attention paid, and the punishments are very severe, generally more severe than the Chumash has, about a mistress who, who disobeys her, 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 the, 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 the woman of the house. She makes fun of the woman without, there are all kinds of long stories about this, many rules about this struggling that the Chumash and maybe in some sense is playing off that because that's what you have the story of Hagar of mocking Sarah who can't have a child because she has a child right away of making fun of that from the Torah standpoint is a, is a big negative actually I'm not saying it's the ultimate crime but the point is the reason that Yishmael ends up to be hung, not Sarah's child Sarah's child is a covenantal child Yishmael could have been Sarah's child but it doesn't work because the moment that Hagar becomes pregnant, out, she, she, she treats Sarah lightly. And Sarah, we have to understand, is not just any old person. She's a, a person who's actually suffered. She was taken by Pharaoh. Who knows for how long? Torah doesn't say. She doesn't have children. She's taken by Pharaoh. And it's a last resort, and she's the one who elevates the status. This is a very important point. Hagar is a shifcha. In the khumish, that's where I get to the Sunday, The khumish has two words for a female slave. One is shifcha. Shifcha is like an avid. And the khumish has another word, amma. Amma is not the same as a shifcha. A shifcha is a plain straight, straight out slave. And amma is not a straight straight out slave. It's, it's a, it's, it's, she's a, maybe even related to the word aim she's the one I mean Hagar is not just a slave when she marries when Abraham takes her to have a child she's no longer just a slave take my sh- she's Sarah's shivka she's Abraham's ama. so in effect she's been given a major a major promotion in the Chumash and that's all the result of, of Sarah Sarah promoted this woman from a lowly slave to Abraham's ama, who's gonna the fact of the matter is so she shouldn't Sarah's a suffering person and one did you a big favor but the moment she gets pregnant from the Chumash's standpoint it's a big big blemish on on Hagar which of course results in the whole fighting and then Sarah probably mistreats her as the Ramban says she tortures her and Hagar runs away at the end of the story the parents of Yeshua in that chapter chapter 16 are Abraham and the Hagar Sarah's out of the picture out of the picture he's not the covenantal child so where he ends up which is from the Torah's standpoint Mitzrayim Abraham's son ends up in Mitzrayim that's a bad place to be whose fault it's not Yishmael's fault maybe it's also his fault he also mocks everybody shares the blame Abraham and Sarah and Agar and Yishmael it's not you know what I mean it's not Torah stories here where there's black and white never black and white in Genesis ever not of the main characters and my point is a very simple point the Chumash conscripts Yishmael over here not just to contrast Hagar with Miriam or the sister and the mother and Pharaoh's daughter that's part of it but there's another part who is, who is Moses? that's the question we know something about Moses he has two mothers he has an Egyptian mother who actually names him and he has a Jewish mother who nurses him the question is where, where is this kid going to end up actually? and if he ends up in a certain place We always ask the question, how did he arrive at that destination? Who who actually gets him there? So it's interesting to think about chapter... In other words, that Moses is an Egyptian. We don't need Freud for that, basically. The Chumash says it. He's an Egyptian to some degree. His mother, though she's virtuous, Pharaoh's daughter is an Egyptian. She's Bas Pharaoh. On the other hand, in her value system, she's not Egyptian. But she is Egyptian. So the question is, he grows up in Mitzrayim, Pharaoh's own daughter takes him in, on the other hand, he's going to be nursed by by his own natural mother, where does this person end up? The Chumash is contrasting Moshe Yishroel, yeah, what do you want to say? So it's really fascinating, actually, what you're saying, because when you think about it, you think to yourself, why would Sarah have chosen the Hagar that Hagar turned into? I mean, when she picks, of all these slaves that are in her household, they're right. rich, right? So she specifically picks Hagar. Now when she picked her, she probably thought she was something that could have been nurtured you know, into a co-mother, like the two mothers that, that Moshe has. But in fact, the way she turns out is very different. That's right. But I think the reason she picks her probably is this. It sounds, anyway, it's a guess. I think in the Chumash she says to Abraham God has prevented me from having a child el take my shivcha apparently in the Chumash Hagar is Sarah's personal slave in other words I'll give you an example of this Joseph when Joseph comes down to Egypt in, in Genesis chapter 39 he's sold as a slave he's a slave in the house of Potiphar and there may be five thousand slaves in the house of Potiphar. The man has fields, he has a house, and in his basement he's got a major jail. So this guy is not a, he's a Saratabochim. He's the chief butcher of Egypt. You're talking about a guy probably of enormous power and wealth. He has a hundred slaves, a thousand slaves. But he sees Joseph and Joseph finds favor in his eyes and God is with Joseph by Yeshua Toto. That's very important. That's a great promotion for Joseph. He's not just one of the slaves. He's the personal slave. People have a lot of workers, you know what I mean? Or whatever. And it's certain what people you rely upon. This is his personal guy. So the point is, which even makes the crime worse from that, because she's really her personal shivka. Take my own personal shivka, shivkati, and in terms of, you know, where Moshe ends up, I wanted to say one thing about the story, actually, about where he ends up. It's hard to know. When people end up in the Chumash, like in life, is a function of why people do... We are, people, are in, people are born at a certain time and place, and they're brought up a certain way, and their society, starting with the family, and their community and their peers have enormous impact on, on people. And I think the Torah also suggests that people are also responsible for themselves, that there's something... Not everything is predetermined in the Chumash, otherwise you wouldn't call people in, you know... Into, into some kind of a term, it makes judgments about people it's not just that everything we are is predetermined but a lot of it is predetermined in a sense in the case of Moshe so where, why does he end up where he ends up and this is the question I've thought about this over the years well, a lot year, he ends up in, as a Jew yes. no well, he ends born in Egypt the Jew. if the Pasuk says Right, but let us, let us, let, let us see, let's, we'll, get, we'll get there in a second, first let's, let, let us, fine, let us, here's what happens, first of all, we're up, up going very slowly here, so in verse number 7, so now she says, it's a, it's, a, it's a Jewish boy, so his sister was watching the whole time, she runs to Pharaoh's daughter, she says to Pharaoh's daughter, should I call a nursing woman to nurse the child for you? Maybe you're, because she's Pharaoh's daughter, maybe she doesn't nurse her children herself, or whatever, or she's not, so maybe, right, and it's not her child, so she can't nurse the child. But maybe there's a wet nurse, maybe there's a woman who can nurse the child. Should I do this? So Pharaoh's daughter says, Luchi, vat luchi, right? Luchi, vatelecha, vatelecha lechi, right? Vatelecha alma, vatekura emayelah. So she goes and she calls the boy's mother, boy's natural mother, right? The woman that gave birth to in the beginning of it. Vatomu la bat parol, he lichi et a azev eni keuli. She says, "Go and nurse this child for me, and I will pay you." The child, the mother took this child, the yehud, when she nurses the, the child, right? Right. And after the child grows up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him as, a, as, a, as her son. She named, Moshe. she named him Moshe, she said, I drew him from the waters. Now, here's what's actually very interesting. There's several points of interest over here. First of all, this is the kid who has two mothers. Point number one is you have to wonder, I always wondered about this, whether this whole, whether we don't have over here some kind of actual conspiracy. In other words, Is this an accident that Pharaoh's daughter picks him up? Or is this part of the plan? In other words, the plan, the goal over here, is not just to see that he's safe, but the goal seems to be to bring him back to his mother. And the mother nursing him, and then the nursing carries with it a significance. It's not just biological food. It's actually culture. In other words, he grows up. Part of the reason he grows up the way he does is because... The values are imparted to him by his mother. The book of Shmuel has the identical story. It's based on Moshe, actually. That Hannah prays for a child, and uh, Shmuel is born. And the husband says, because he operates by the calendar, time to go to Shilo. She says, I don't want, she always goes with him to Shilo. She says, I'm not going. I'm only going when the child is fully nursed. When the child is fully nursed, I'll go. So he's very worried about this. He says, Oh, yeah. No make sure that God keeps God's promises it means I don't know about that it says the there we go that's okay but the point is why is she insisting on fully nursing him she can't give him up till he's fully nursed because she doesn't trust anybody else basically because she sees what goes on at Shiloh Chakni Pinchas the place is no good so is a saintly man but he's blind so therefore we can't leave this up to you know my boy is too important to be left up to the so called leadership that's too dangerous so I have to nurse him myself. And whatever Shmuel becomes is largely a product of the fact that his mother prays for him but also nurses him. And that's a very important point. Since the character of Shmuel says she's based on Moses in a hundred ways, so they're picking up on the nursing. The nursing is very important. So on one hand, his mother is his natural mother. She gave birth to him and she nurses him. On the other hand, there are two other points. First of all, the Chumash makes the point that it seems completely gratuitous that she brings the mother to Pharaoh's. First of all, she brings the mother to Pharaoh's daughter. So it's a Pharaoh, go ahead, show me who the person is. And then she says to the mother, nurse the child, and she adds, I will pay you. Now, what's that about? I will pay you. The point of I will pay you is a very important point because what Pharaoh's daughter is saying is, This is my child. You work for me. So it's very interesting, she's nursing this boy. On one hand, that shows that she's a parent, she, is, she has a real mother. On the other hand, she's acting as agent, to so an agency. She acts as agent for Pharaoh's daughter. And even more striking is the next verse where it says that she brought, after he grew up, so she waits till he grows up, she brings him back to Pharaoh's daughter who took her as a son. And then it says, And she gave him the name Moshe, for she said, I have drawn him from the water. So who gives him the name Moshe? It's Pharaoh's daughter. Right? In other words, the mother had the opportunity to name the boy. Actually, she has two opportunities. She could have named the boy when he's born, before he's put into the water. And she could have named the boy when he's brought back to her. How long they nursed in those days is a very good question. The presumption is that longer than today two years, three years, whatever it is, it doesn't matter the point maybe even more, the point is there's plenty of opportunity to name the boy she doesn't name the boy and the naming is very important the naming is an act that a parent does for a child, the name is incredibly significant so it means that Pharaoh's daughter is a real mother over here she's really, she saves him she adopts him she pays for the nursing and she takes him into the house and above all she names him so the Chumash leaves us with the question what's to be with this boy he has the mother who nurses him the mother who gives birth she has Pharaoh's daughter who names who brings him up who raises him from this point on and the next verse is very critical then the next verse is in those days so it says straight out in those days Moses grew up, he went out to his brothers, he saw their suffering. He saw an Ish Mitzri, Ma'kei Ishivri, Me'echav. The point is this, when you read this verse, let's say, you're reading the verse, you never saw it before. came to pass at that time, in those days, Moshe, Moshe grew up, El he went out to his brothers. The word Echav, first of all, cannot mean, in terms of the story, literally to his brothers, because it doesn't sound like he has any brothers. He has a sister. He doesn't have any brothers. So you wonder, who are these people? It could be Jews. It could be Egyptians. The text, though, disambiguates in two ways. First of all, the next two words are, He saw their suffering. So what I used to think is this. I used to think that we have over here is a story about somebody who, who, who could really make a choice he has two mothers he could make a choice it's exactly 50-50 it could be either way he chooses to be with the ones who suffer he makes that choice he has two choices who do you side with? the guy who's beating the Jew? or the Jew is being beaten? Moshe decides to be with the one who's suffering he made that decision he in a way creates his own identity that's the way I used to read it I'm not saying it's wrong but I'm saying there's another factor to take into account over here which is a very important point it's not just making your own choice, of course this is never actually true that we make our own choices fully it's the American myth actually yes. this is the American myth, the self-made man it's the American myth but there's something else in the story which is very important and here it deviates from Genesis actually in this way that I, there are two mothers in the story. There's Pharaoh's daughter, who pays for the nursing, who cares for him, who brings him up, and who names him. And there's the natural mother, who is, uh, who is, uh, who, no, who nurses him and who gives and who, uh, birth. So it's the, each one. But there is, a, as we say, a Shushia is also a third party. And the third party in the story is the sister. The Torah. Presents the story in such a way that the sister is very critical. Unlike the Book of Genesis, where brothers with siblings usually have problems, whether it's brothers or sisters. Okay, the sisters Rachel and Leah don't actually try to kill each other. You know, don't try to kill each other. But there's there's, but there's disagreements. But there's tensions. But there's right, right. But there's a, a battle. There's a struggle. Right. Rachel said in I have wrestled and struggled with my sister I have prevailed right struggles battles with my sister it's difficult in Genesis we encounter in Exodus we encounter in the beginning siblings working together and two prime examples of the sister of Moses and Moses and the main example is Aaron and Moses Aaron, your brother, will be happy to see you. They work together. Of course, later on, there are problems, but the fact of the matter is, siblings work together. The sibling in the story over here functions as a kind of mother. She's looking out She's hovering. She's watching out. One might say that, if we ask ourselves the question, why does he end up where he does? Which is, he goes to his brothers. And there are two good answers here, which don't actually contradict. One is that the sister, the sibling relationship, is what that tips the scale it's not just one against one it's one and one and it's someone else who tips the scale which is the sister which is Achotel. Achotel leads you to, to Achiv to brothers that's one possibility the other way to read it is to say that may be true on the other hand you have Bat Paro on the other side now it's true that from a standpoint of value she's pretty good she defies on the other hand the text calls her over and over again Bat Paro he's growing up in Egypt so one can say that the Khumish wants to make the suggestion to us that Moshe actually makes a choice. He didn't have to choose this. He's very comfortable living in Pharaoh's house. He could live in Pharaoh's house, who knows? Not that the text ever directly connects him to Pharaoh. The movies do. But the text doesn't ever present Moses as Pharaoh's as it connects him to Bad Paro and never connects him to Paro directly in any manner, shape, or form before Abraham makes a comment just wanted to make a point that I've made in the past which I like a lot which is this that the contrast to that in other words when you read the story of Moshe in the house of Paro Paro, and the question of identity and the question of living in a place where God doesn't speak and all that the one who picked up this point of course was the author of the book of Shemuel sacred Shemuel begins with exactly the story of the birth of Samuel Samuel's Moses basically the Medi's not demonstrating all of that but I want to make one point about Shmuel, which is this in the beginning of Sefer Shmuel we have the following story Shmuel is living in Ailey's house Ailey's his adopted father and Samuel was Aley's true son Aley has a, has a saintly side to him, he cares deeply about God but his kids are running amok and she was a place of an unbelievable uh, degradation and unbelievable uh, decadence. Sheol was a place of corruption and God hates Sheol. God wants to destroy Sheol. So in that story in chapter 3, which is based on the story of Moshe, chapter 3. It's actually based on it directly. The calling, we'll get to this hopefully next week but maybe whatever, the calling of Moshe. Moshe is called to be a prophet. And that's the story of the burning bush. And Moshe resists and resists and resists. In the, we'll get to that story in the book of Samuel, chapter three. We have the story where Shmuel is called to to his mission. He has a mission. In that story of chapter three of Shmuel, it's one of the one of the great stories of the book of Shmuel, of which there are many such such great stories. It's an awesome book. So Shmuel is a young boy, serving Aili, serves God before Eli. He's the one virtuous. One might say the adopted son of Awe, Ailey, Awe's true religious, pu- Awe's disciple. And he hears a voice that's calling him. Who is it? Tell him I'll call him back at 11 o'clock. Okay. 11 o'clock on the dot. Okay. That's a call I might have taken, but I, no, I don't know. to. Whatever, it's important call but. So it's like this. So he hears the voice. God is calling for In those days, God didn't speak. That's how the chapter begins. The word of God was precious, was scarce. God is not talking. And God calls Shmuel. So what does Shmuel do? He runs to Eli. He hears a voice. He says, yes. He says, I'm here, you called me. I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. They're sleeping in different parts of the temple. So he goes back to sleep and again calls Shmuel. So Shmuel runs again. He runs again to, to, to Ailey. I am here because you called me. He named, yes. I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. But I see. And the third time, Shmuel, Shmuel. Shmuel, God is calling him. Samuel, Samuel, right. Runs off to Ailey. I'm here because you called me. So Ailey understands. Ailey understands. He says, no, he says, listen. Next, if you hear that voice again, say to God, I am here. Your servant is listening. So he goes back. And sure enough, God appears again Shmuel yes I'm listening Shmuel I have something unbelievable to tell you I plan to destroy the house of Eli. that's the story Samuel's afraid Next he wakes up he opens up the, do- the doors of the temple in the morning Eli, what, what happened last night he's afraid to speak Eli says you have to tell me I swear you must tell me so Samuel says God said he would destroy tells him Eli says God has spoken. God is good. Okay. What is the point of that story? So the right course, the Shmuel doesn't just pick stories randomly. The great ones run to the great places. That's how it works. Okay. It's something. It takes the story of the snap of Moses not understanding what God wants, but but the point is, or oh Moses resisting, and it moves it in a slightly different direction. Here's one of the interesting differences between the two stories in the case of Moses who has to go back to speak to Pharaoh you can psychologize it all you want but as far as I can see there's not the slightest intimation in the Chumash that Moses has a problem talking to Pharaoh there is never a suggestion in the Chumash that there's any kind of actual relationship between Moshe and Pharaoh never the movie makers like it all that's great for but you know never in the Chumash does it suggest such a thing never yes he has by Paro? maybe Pharaoh had the 500 wives who knows you know what I mean who knows there's no connection that's not true in the book of Shmuel the writer of Shmuel is painting a very different picture and that is that is a very simple point that uh, Shmuel hears God's voice Shmuel assumes that Eli is speaking to him, right? He runs off three different times he runs. Because it's very simple. For little Shmuel, who's a disciple of the Elie, the priest, there is no difference in his thinking between God's voice and Eli's voice. God and Eli are the same. It's your Rebbe, basically. Your Rebbe is God. No question. So, first time, and if you get the sense in the story, since his Rebbe's calling him, He runs, yes, I am here, you have spoken. Once, I didn't call you, go back. Second time, he's the same thing again. He could have said to himself, well, can't be the Rebbe, because it can't be Ailey, because that's not what he says. He runs off a third time. It's clear in the story. If if he hears the voice a thousand times, that's what Ailey says. He's going to come back a fourth time. He will come back forever. Because if you have a Rebbe, the Rebbe speaks. God is speaking. There's no difference. And that's the shock in the story. The shocker is that not only is God's voice and Elie's voice not one, but the opposite. That Ailey's going to be destroyed. God, I will destroy Sheol. That's, that's the prophecy. The house of Ailey will be destroyed. Aili too. Because he didn't He didn't obey me. He didn't put his house in order. That's the shocker over there. That's the power of the story. He's forced to... And the beauty of the story is, when Ailey says at the end to him, listen, son in the morning he sees that Sam was afraid to tell him so he understands obviously that something bad something he doesn't want to say to him the alien already had intimations in the previous chapter someone else told him he's going to be destroyed what did he say son? he says you are a prophet you must speak in other words he's a Rebbe till the end he's teaching him something very important you cannot conceal the prophecy a prophet means you have to give your vehicle for God's message so you have no choice that's the power of it he remains his Rebbe in a sense till the very end he loves Shmuel he's his one one pupil that he has in the whole world the son doesn't know, he knows that doesn't discipline him, but he knows it so the book of Shmuel takes the story of, of Moshe and the Sneh and it, you know since it sits understands that the character of, and it builds the character of Shmuel around Moshe in many many ways then come in the distinctions the differences are very are very striking so that you don't have in the story that that, in Moshe I don't see it there's some kind of connection to Paro but in the case of Ewi, Ely is the priest Ewi is the moral voice Ely is a connection to God that's so powerful so that's the story it's about it's about a Rebbe basically the uh, our tradition is filled with stories about Rebbes most famous maybe is Elisha ben Avuya, Rabbi mayor, it's about a Rebbe. You have a Rebbe who's gone to a different place, gone off to, to a bad place maybe. But for the pupil, it still remains a Rebbe. It doesn't make a difference. And there are all kinds of indebtedness to the Rebbe, even when you go to a different place. <coughs> I had Rebbes, in my, I was very fortunate in my life, I had several Rebbes who taught me a lot. Many of them, I'm in a totally different place. A totally different, but I don't, I'm in a different place doesn't matter I still feel very indebted to what they taught me they move you on a path that's the point so that's the book of Shemuel it, the, the great books don't simply repeat of course the books are taking the story and moving it in a different direction in any event so there are two different ways to see Moshe over here in terms of his choice is it his own choice the very seeing of the suffering is a factor he prefers to be with those who suffer I would add something else about preferring to be with those who suffer, and that is what I mentioned last time in terms of his name, his name is Moshe, Moshe means the one who draws out, that is what he does in the Chumash, he draws us out of Egypt, takes us out of Mitzrayim, the names are not names, the names are descriptions of course, but what's curious is why was he named Moshe? So Pharaoh's daughter named him. She said, Ki I have drawn him from the waters. So mishitiu is actually the passive form. His name literally, if it took quite literally, his name should not be Moshe. His name should be Mashui, the one who was drawn out. But his name is not Mashui, the drawn out one. The name is Moshe, the one who draws out. But the truth is there's a connection between those two things actually a very important point. The one who is drawn out has the obligation to draw others out. That's actually such a critical, basic point, such an important religious point. The one who was delivered has the responsibility to deliver others. Of course, the people who understand this, of course, I mean, some of the evangelicals understand this, but, you know, let me tell you my story. They'll tell you their story. They'll try to get you and you know, there is within within Hasidic world some of that as well, but the idea that if I was delivered, I have to deliver others—that's something which is which is very uh, basic. It's very very powerful, and you know it's the one who is—I uh, mean, those who are recovering from some recovering addicts understand this. They want they they want to tell their story because. You want to tell your story so that other people can hear your story. And the truth of the matter is, we have this in our own tradition a long time ago, in terms of Hallel. We spoke about Hallel. What the main theme of Howell, the six Psalms, is one primary theme of Hallel, which is that I have been delivered, I've been redeemed, I've been saved in some way, and therefore I see my obligation is to, because how can I repay God? How do I pay it back? Right? Maashiv Hashem How can I repay? Of course. Sure. How can I repay? The answer is raised, Shema I will pay I will give my my bring my sacrifice, right? I will give my thanksgiving publicly. Negda no which gets repeated later. Where's 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 the place where everybody is? The answer is Mushalayim, which is the temple. The Chatswat Beit Hashem. That's the theme that appears in Psalm 116 and is repeated actually in Psalm 118 where the person who was saved is searching for the public arena that's what I talked about and in Haggadah I wrote about this and finally arrives at the place right? Open up the gates I want to give thanks and finally arrives at the end of Hashem. You've arrived in God's house you arrive in the Bayez what does he say okay if I came in the house now I can say what I want to say which is I want to give thanksgiving so the idea that the one who is delivered sees the obligation to, 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 to repeat to others to tell over the story yes? and to, to tell others to share with others so that they can be inspired by the story that's so basic and that's the story here of Moshui. The one who was drawn out is required, is obliged to draw out others. That's, that's one of the main points over here. And that's Moshe's life. Now he does resist it, as we'll see, we get there. But at the end of the day, there's one important point about Moshe. He does resist it for a chapter and a half. But here's an important point. The first thing, when God appeared to Moshe at the burning bush, and God said, Moshe, Moshe, by Yomer Hinei." Hineni means, Hine, I am present to do your bidding. Be fully present. So it may be true that he fights this, that, the next thing. I'm not He says he named me first. He accepted it before anything else. He accepts it. That's actually a very important point. I have to stop at this point. So we'll continue next week with the um, with the uh, the story. Who is this Moshe? Okay.